And you guys are singing so loud. Y'all must have not gotten enough college football yesterday. Um, and uh, just, uh, I mean, for any Longhorn fans or uh, Horn Frog fans, we expect you to give twice today because yesterday's games, I mean, they were gifts from God. Uh, but uh, anyway, it is uh, good to be here this morning with you guys. Uh, an exciting class at 1045, just want to make you aware of. Because um, you're already here and it's raining and where else do you have to go? You'll still get out in time for brunch. Uh, but at 1045, uh, back in the band hall, they're going to be talking about, uh, Miss Lori Turner's going to be teaching about, um, what's that balance between, you know, when we read in scripture of that, that salvation is, you know, by grace, but also where, where do our works come into play? Where, do, where does that, how does that factor into the equation? And so, um, so they're going to be discussing that. You can ask, ask your questions and all that kind of stuff. So I just want to make you aware of that. Um, and we are, we're getting close to the end of our series uh, in John. I, I think we got about five more Sundays and then we'll close out this year-long journey through John. And uh, over the past 10 months, we've been looking at the life of Jesus and the life that he calls us to as, uh, as his followers, as his disciples, as his students. And, and we've talked about this, this Greek word that John uses for disciple, and it's the word methetes. And, it, and, and the Greek language is very, um, uh, it, it, it's very picture driven that when there's a word picture that goes along with all these words and, and immediately people, when they heard the word methetes, they would think about a student following their teacher so closely that they're literally covered with the sand, with the dust of their sandals. And so you and I, we are called to follow Jesus and to follow him so closely, to, to lean in and, and to hear what he has to say and to see how he lives his life and experience his love for us that we're literally covered with the dust of his sandals. And um, this morning, um, we're, we're going to be in John chapter 17 at the end of that. And, and here Jesus is praying this high priestly prayer for you and I. That, that he's praying for, for those who are going to follow him. And if these last six verses of John chapter 17 um, doesn't help us face the challenges that come with life and even come with death, I don't know what will because there is such good news as we begin to set our hearts on eternity this morning. So he, Jesus prays three things. Let me just give them to us up front and then uh, we'll unpack them as we go along. But what Jesus prays for us is that he prays for what we need the most, um, as we're going to unpack that. Uh, how do we get it, and what will be the outcome? What's the outcome? So what do we need the most, how do we get it, and what is the outcome? So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 17 this morning. If you didn't bring your Bible, we'll put it up on the screen for you. You can pull it up on your phone and take some notes as well um, as we go along. But these three things, what do we need the most, how do we get it, and what will be the outcome? So, so Jesus, he's, he's praying um, in, this, uh, in this prayer. And he, he's, he's prayed uh, for his disciples. And now he's praying for those that will believe as a result of the disciples' message. John chapter 17. Let's read uh, verses 20 through 23 together. Uh, it says, My prayer is not for them alone, that I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. So, so right then, Jesus, he, he prays for you and I. 2,000 years ago, Jesus is in the shadow of the cross, and he's right here praying for us. 
He's praying for those who would believe uh, in the message that the disciples have, that they've listened to, that they've experienced closely for the past three years as they've walked with Jesus and lived with Jesus. And now they are, uh, they're going to go out and take this message uh, to the world. And, and this message has been handed down from generation to generation to generation to generation. And here we are, 2,000 years later, a byproduct of this prayer that Jesus prays for us. Verse 21, uh, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. And I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as you are one. Verse 23, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And as Jesus is praying this, that is a prayer that the world would know and experience the gospel. And when we say the gospel, we're, we're not talking about you know, walking an aisle and signing a card and raising a hand and going to camp. We're talking about a lifestyle. We're talking about believing that Jesus is the son of God and he came, he was sent to this world. We'll talk about that in a minute. And he lived the life that we can't live and he died the death that we deserve. And when we put our faith in him and his work on our behalf, we, become, we go from being dead spiritually to being alive spiritually. We've become adopted sons and daughters of the one true king. And we have all the rights and privileges that go with our father's name. And his spirit, the Holy Spirit, comes and dwells in us, lives in us. And his job is to come alongside us and to, and to point us to Christ. And transform us from the inside out. That's what the gospel is. And in Christ, we have all the acceptance and all the approval and all the significance that you and I need for this life and the life to come. Now, that's a lot. But that's what Jesus is praying for us there. And so this verse 23, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This, this is two, two statements here. And so let's pull them apart. And the first part of this is then the world will know you sent me. Now, now this, is, this is important that we need to understand what's behind this statement so we can really grasp the second part of this statement. That Jesus says, then the world will know that you sent me. Now notice Jesus does not say that I want the world to know that I was born. Right? He doesn't say that. He says, I want, to know, I want the world to know that you sent me. And now when we hear that, that he didn't say born, of course he was born. I mean, every you know, person is born. That's how life begins. People are born. And he was born because he was human. He's fully God, but he's also human. But he was more than just human. Here it says that he was sent, which means that um, before he was born, he existed. Now, now, just let the magnitude of that statement settle in. Before, because Jesus was sent, that means before he was born, he existed. He is God. That we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. We have the triune God. We have the Trinity, okay? And perfect community in a perfect, loving relationship. And before Jesus was born, he was he, was, he, he existed because he was sent. If Jesus was just born as a human, like some people want to say that he was, who, who don't believe in the deity 
uh, that, that Jesus was God, uh, then Jesus would just be regulated to a good teacher. A good teacher that came along and told us the meaning of life and how we can live a good life and save ourselves. But because Jesus was sent, he didn't come just as a good teacher to tell us how to live uh, a good life to save ourselves. He came as savior. He was sent to save the world. He was sent to live the life that we can't live. This is it. And he came and he was sent to die the death that we deserve. And so when we put our faith in Jesus, God accepts us not based on our work, but based on the work of Jesus for us. That's the weight, that's the magnitude of the statement that he was sent. And he wants, he's praying that you and I would understand that, that he was sent, that he existed before he was born, that, that he was in, in heaven, ruling over heaven. He was with God the Father and God the Spirit, all enjoying this relationship that we're going to come, that, it, that we're going to see in play here in just a moment. So knowing that Jesus was sent helps us understand the second part of the verse. He says, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, this is what we need the most, guys. This is it right here. Then the world will know that you have sent me and you love them even as you loved me. Now, if Jesus was just a human teacher telling us how to live a good life in order to go to heaven, then, then what that means, what that that what the, the, the outcome of that is that God would love us as we deserve to be loved. If, God, if Jesus was just a human who, who, was, who was born and he was a good teacher telling us how to live a good life so we can, so we can work our way to God, that, the, out, the outcome of that is, means that God would love us the way we deserve to be loved. That if, if, we, you know, if we live this good a life, then God will love us this much. If we live this good a life, God will love us this much. If we live this good a life, then God would love us this much. But, but that's not good news. That's fair news. And the gospel means good news. And so the Bible says that the moment we believe that um, the moment that we put our faith in God, that God loves us not as we deserved, but he loves us the way Jesus deserves to be loved. Okay, that's what Jesus is praying. He's praying that you and I would realize where we would get out of this mindset that if we live a good life, then, then, then God will love us and bless us. And, and we are, we are responsible for living you know, the way that God wants us to live. But we've got to get out of this mindset that we can work our way to God, that, you know, that we can do enough good things to tip the scale our way. And Jesus is praying that we would understand that God loves us when we put our faith in Jesus and we become an adopted child of God, that God loves us not as we deserve to be loved, but as Jesus deserves to be loved. The moment that, the moment that we believe all the perfect holiness and, and goodness and righteousness and, 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 and justice uh, of Jesus is imputed to us. And that's just a theological word that simply means that everything that Jesus is and Jesus accomplished is counted as if we did it. We get credit for it. And so that breaks this, this thought pattern that if I, you know, if I live this good a life, Jesus, you know, God will love me this much. That's religion. 
And Jesus is praying that we would understand that we are loved, that God loves us just as much as he loves his son. Now let's just think about, let me slow down a little bit. And let's just think about the magnitude of that statement. Because that's not how I've lived the majority of my life. The majority of my life, I've lived under this this false gospel, this false doctrine of, you know, that the better I live, the more God loves me, if we're just being honest. But Jesus, he doesn't want us to live that way. He wants us to understand that the Father's love for the Son is so big and so perfect that he loves you and I. He loves you with the same magnitude, the same quantity, the same quality, the same intensity that he loves his son. Now think about that, okay? I don't think there's any one of us in the building today that would argue how much God the Father loves his son, right? I mean, we would all say, yes, he loves his son. His son was perfect. But God loves us with the same quantity and the quality and magnitude and intensity. He loves you. And that's what Jesus is praying here. And that's what we need the most. And if we could grasp that, if we could embrace that, if we could understand that, it would completely change the way we respond to criticism, wouldn't it? If we knew, if we knew that we knew we knew in the core of who we are, that our heavenly father loves us intensely and deeply and freely, that it would change the way we respond to criticism because who cares what they say? I have the love of my heavenly father. It would change the way we respond or react to rejection. It would change the way we respond or react to betrayal. It would change the way we respond and react to how we see and view and judge ourselves. We have to understand this. We have to grasp this. And this is what Jesus is saying. David Martin Lord Jones, he was a 20th century British preacher, and this is what he writes about this, and just see if this resonates with you at all. He says, in this Christian life, there are many problems and difficulties. Any, anybody trekking along? Would you agree with that statement so far? Okay, yeah. Hello? Yes, I'm going through one right now. I got a big problem, okay? I'm facing a lot of difficulty. We'd all agree with that. But more and more, it seems to me that most of our problems, indeed, if not all of them, arise simply from the fact that we fail to realize and understand and appreciate what is the real truth about us as Christian people. I'll stop from them. What is the real truth? This is the real truth because it says who we are. When we put our faith in Christ, that we are adopted sons and daughters of God. That, 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 that his love is set on us and nothing can take that away. So, so this is what he's talking about. This is the real truth about us as Christian people. We read these things in scripture without meditating on them. In other words, without thinking about them, without processing them, without critically thinking about them. And we don't realize that these are not abstract truths, but these are truths about us. And if we did that, our entire lives would be revolutionized. Friends, what we need the most is we need to realize how much the Father loves us.
And that's what Jesus is praying for us, is that we would realize that more than anything else, that he loves us. So that would revolutionize our lives. So how do we, how do we get that? Well, let's look at verse 24. It says, Father, I want those. This is Jesus praying for you. He's praying for me. Father, I, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Now, this is amazing. What Jesus is saying here is that when we put our faith in Christ, when we, when we die, okay, or at the end of time when Jesus comes back, whichever comes first, okay, um, he, what he's saying is that he wants us to be with him and see him in his glory. Now, his glory is everything that he is. It's his beauty, his strength, his majesty, his, his, his mercy, his grace, his sovereignty. It's all of that. That's the glory of God. And what he's praying is, I want believers in me to be with me and see my glory. And when we read that or hear that, we're thinking, okay, well, you know, that's, a way, that's way down the road. That, that's, that's like future. And yes, you're right, it is future, but it's also right now. Now, John, he, he writes in a letter to the church in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He writes in 1st John, in chapter 3, uh, he says, Dear friends. Now, dear friends is a horrible translation from the Greek to the English. Because it's not dear friends. A better word in our English language would be beloved. And beloved means that we are richly and deeply and freely and wholly and completely and unconditionally loved by God. Beloved means that we are loved by God just as much as God loved his son, Jesus. So on dear friends, okay? Beloved. Now we are children of God. What made us children of God? Is that our, our church attendance? Is that our religious activities? Is that our good deed? No. What made us children of God is our faith in Jesus. So beloved, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. Okay? So there's something that's going to happen in the future. But we know that when Christ appears, so either when we just step into eternity or Jesus comes back, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And what John is saying is that the moment we see Jesus, the moment we see his beauty and his love and his courage and his holiness and his righteousness and his goodness and his wisdom and his justice, the moment we see him, we will be so drawn to him, we will be changed in an instant. We will be changed in that moment. We'll be transformed. We'll be completely glorified. And all that means, it's just a church way of saying that the moment we step into eternity and we see Jesus for who he is, that everything that's wrong with us will go away. And we'll be made as if we were the way we were supposed to before sin in this world. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, the Lord's glory, everything that he is, are being transformed. Underline that. No, you can't. That's on the screen. It's not in your Bible. When you get to your Bible, you can underline that. Um, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 
In other words, what Paul is saying is when we see the glory, when we see his glory, not, no, not now, when, when, when we see it now, it's through faith, not by sight, okay? It's through faith that we see his glory. But, but, but God is also transforming us right now because he says we are being transformed. That's present tense. In fact, may, maybe it's, it's present perfect tense. I don't know if there's an English teacher. Maybe you can diagram this for us real quick. Um, but it's ongoing, Okay, that God is, is transforming us right now. He's transforming us into the image of God. He is changing us. Now, now the way that you and I are transformed or changed, change doesn't happen through willpower. Change doesn't happen through, um, through trying harder. True change happens when we see something that's more valuable than what we have and we go after that. That what, tr- what truly changes us is when we set our gaze, in other words, when we focus our lives on the beauty and love and strength and holiness and goodness and, and, and justice and mercy of Jesus Christ, that's what changes us. Because it changes our loves, it changes our allegiances, and, and that's how change comes. See, when we're faced with sin or Jesus and we choose sin, what we're saying is, is that this is more valuable than Jesus. So how do we change? How do we, how do we stop choosing sin and start choosing Jesus? Well, the Bible says is that we need to know him more fully. The more we know Jesus, the more we will love him, the more of his, our allegiance we will have to him. You say, well, how do we know him more fully? This is how it happens. Through little bitty moments of consistency. It's being consistent, consistent moments in his word. I'll say, okay, well, I'm a, I'm a busy person, Mark. I mean, are you talking every day? And, and if so, like how long? I mean, is it 15 minutes? Is it 20 minutes? Is it, is it one chapter, three chapters? What is it? It's just, it's just consistency. It may be every day. It may be every other day. It may be a chapter for you. It may be a few verses. But it's consistently being in his word. And, 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 and like the quote we just read, it's meditating on it. It's just not reading it to check something off her box, but it's like, ooh, man, what is Jesus really saying here? So it's consistent moments in his word, but it's also consistent moments in prayer. And that's not, you know, giving God our wish list, but, it, but it's going through and saying, okay, God, this is what's going on in my life, but not my will, but your will be done. Or God, this is what, these are the decisions I'm making. Do I choose this A or do I choose B? But not my will, but your will be done. And will you give me wisdom? And, and God, help me not worry about the future because you, you, you say, pray, give us today our daily bread. So I'm just going to trust you today. But God, I'm a, I'm a control freak. And, and I like to know, I don't like surprises. And I like to plan my own surprise party. And, and I don't like that. And so, so God, would you help me trust you today? God, would you help me forgive others? Oh, man, to forgive others the way you've forgiven me because I'm holding grudges. I can't stand this person. So, God, you tell me to pray for, for our enemies and, 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 and love our enemies and pray for those people who make our lives difficult. And they make my life so difficult, but now I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray that God would, you would bless them and, and that, you would, that, that, that you would just, uh, that they would know how much you love them. And, and that takes time. It's consistent moments gathered in corporate worship that we know God better. 
hearing our brothers and sisters sing about who God is and, and what he's done and hearing the word of God taught. It's consistent moments and gospel-centered community because those are the, a smaller group of people. They're going to know when we start thinking that something that's not right and they can kind of point us back to the gospel truth. And the more we know Jesus, the more we will love him and know how much he loves us. That's, that's how we get what we need the most. And so what, what will be the outcome? Well, let's, let's close out with this. Verses 25 and 26. Remember, I mean, Jesus is praying this stuff for us 2,000 years ago. He's praying for you. And he says, righteous father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me and I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them as well. You see, um, we don't think about heaven a whole lot. And, um, you know, it seems like it's that's something that's way down the road. But when we do think about heaven, what is it that you think about? What is it? I mean, do you think about, you know, clouds or harps being played? Do you think about streets of gold? Well, a good city planning and zoning committee could kind of take care of that, okay? I mean, the taxes would be really high, but we could, Pantigo could be streets of gold. That's not real compelling. But when Jesus talks about heaven, he talks about being with him and seeing the way the, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit love one another. And we see this relationship dynamic take place in the creation, story of creation, that, that in eternity past you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit enjoying one another and encouraging one another and loving one another. And then they say to one another, let us make man in our image. And what they were saying is, hey, let's make man in our image. Let's make man hardwired to be in relationships, hardwired to love and to be loved, hardwired to know and to be known. And so it's hardwired in us for love. And every single one of us want to be loved for who we are. But the problem is we don't let people know who we really are. Because we're scared that if, if we let them know who we really are, that, they, that people will reject us. That they won't want anything to do with us. I've got a friend who says every time we leave the house, we're actors. And he's right. We, we play whatever role for other people that we think would, help, would cause them to love and accept us. But we all want to be loved for who we are. But the most of the love that we give and receive, it's conditional. We want to express our love. I mean, that's just a way to articulate our feelings and our emotions and our commitment. But some of us don't know how to express love appropriately. Some of us can't even say, I love you. Well, pastor, I told her 
Well, when I married her, I loved her. And if anything changed, I'd let her know. (laughs) Nothing's changed. She needs to hear it. Our children need to hear us say, I love you. Our children need to hear adults say, I love you. And it not just be words, but it be a commitment behind the words. You and I, we are hardwired to love one another, to love one another mutually. We want to be loved mutually. We don't want to be tolerated. But a lot of times we feel tolerated, not really loved. And we want people, we want the people we love to be happy, Right? We want people that we love, we want our loved ones to to be happy. And if they're not happy, we can't be happy. I mean, right? I mean, if mama ain't happy, no one's happy, right? But you know, nobody understands this more than the heart of a parent. I mean, things can be going great at work. Things can be really going well in, in every arena of our lives. And then with something happens to our children and one child, and, and maybe they're afflicted or, or, or you know, they're going through a hard time with a friend at school and it's just causing all kinds of stress and turmoil and this one kid's life and what happens to our happiness? It's gone. Because we, we hate it when the people we love hurt, right? We also were hardwired to to never say goodbye to the people we love. I mean, you remember the early days, right? Of the relationship, you're talking on the phone, and it's, you know, it's 3.30 a.m., and you got to get up at 5.30, and it's like, I, I, I got to go to bed, babe, and, you know, so you hang up. No, you hang up first. No, you hang up. No, on three. Let's hang up both on three, okay? One, two, three. You didn't hang up. Remember those days? I mean, there's just something in us that we don't want to say goodbye to our loved ones. We're hardwired. We are built to love and be loved for who we are, to perfectly express our love, to mutually love one another, to love in a way where everyone is happy and never say goodbye. The only problem is we live in an environment that sin has jacked all that up. So Jesus prays. He prays for what we need the most, that we would know how much our Father loves us. And that when we put our faith in him, that that one day, one day that not so far in the distance, but one day we will be in a place that we are with him and we will finally feel the freedom of being loved for who we really are. We'll be able to perfectly express our love. We'll be mutually loved by one another. We'll be completely happy and those that we love will be completely happy and we'll never have to say goodbye. That's what compels us. That's the outcome 
when we truly understand how much our Father loves us and we're being transformed by knowing Jesus more and we can take one step a day, one step closer to eternity, but one step closer to living out this kind of love in this life. So as the band comes, just give us one more word. What do we do with this? What do we do with this prayer that Jesus prays for us? Well, until that day we step on into eternity, we discover as much as we can about Christ through his word and the body of Christ. We come to know him more fully. That we gaze at the Trinity and we don't understand it. I can't explain it. I mean, my seven-year-old is like, Dad, tell me about the Trinity. I'm like, son, you go to a Christian school, make them explain it to you. I don't know. Ask your mother. Go to the 1045 class. But we look and see how much God loves his son. And that's the same intensity he loves us. And then we grasp onto the gospel. And we know that through the gospel, through the life and death and resurrection of Christ, we have all the acceptance and all the approval and all the significance we need for this life and the life to come.